Gracious God and Father, you promised that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire, and it will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. There are only uh, two miracles recorded in all four Gospels. Any guesses as to what those two miracles would be? One would be the resurrection of our Lord. That's foundational to who we are. We wouldn't be here were it not for that. And the other is the feeding of the 5,000. And I think it's interesting that when you look at the text, the last part of the text, I guess the last paragraph of our gospel reading on the back of your bulletin, notice the emphasis on five loaves and two fish. It's mentioned three times in four verses. Why the emphasis? I think it just probably amplifies the nature of the miracle, stressing the uh, apparent insufficiency of what's been given, what they have, and Christ's all-sufficiency to do the impossible. So let's take a look at the text. Beginning at verse 30, we read this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He had sent them out in twos, They're reporting back in. Things went terrifically well. Verse 31, Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Uh, In the Greek, it's a, a deserted place. A place where there's no people. And get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a desert place where there's no people. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So they're running around the lake. Apparently they know where he's headed. So they're waiting on the dock, (laughs) welcoming Jesus and his disciples, which is so ironic because they're going to this place to get away from the crowds and the crowds follow Verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were in Jesus' shoes and I was looking to get away from the crowd and the crowd followed me, I might be a little perturbed. I don't know. Just, Just saying. But he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, Roman numeral one in your outline, sheep without a shepherd denotes, or it means, a people who are leaderless and therefore vulnerable. They're leaderless and therefore they're vulnerable. This term, sheep without a shepherd, is an Old Testament term. You know, God was the shepherd of Israel, and he appointed under shepherds. You know, there were kings. 
that were supposed to shepherd the people appropriately, the kings and the priests and so on. They didn't always do that, as we read in our first lesson today. But it denotes someone who's leaderless, a group of people who are without a leader, and therefore they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable, for example, to moral relativism. And that was a problem in ancient Israel, just like it's a problem today. Moral relativism says that, well, you know, what's right for you may or may not be right for me. And you just sort of make it up as you go along in terms of morality. Whatever feels good must be good, right? And people are also, without a leader, people are vulnerable to false teaching. And it's so true. I, I see it all too often. After people have drifted away from the church, you know, people are willing to try anything new for a little while. Then after a while, it gets to be old, I guess. I don't know. And they fall away. And they've been taught. They've gone through instruction. They knew the gospel of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But when you visit them later, after they've been away for a length of time, quite often, you won't hear that gospel. Well, when you ask them, how are things going with you and the Lord? They will give you a works righteousness answer. Works righteousness is the natural religion of man. It's, It's ego theology. When you ask them, how are things with you and the Lord? They won't say anything about the Lord so much as they'll talk about themselves and, and what they're doing or what they're trying to do. Well, I don't know. You know, I'm trying to live a good life. Okay, well, that's good. I applaud that. We believe in civic righteousness, you know, doing good deeds out there, looking good to everyone else. and It's helpful. We applaud it. But it won't get you to heaven. You know, people need leadership. People like sheep need shepherding. We're vulnerable to false teaching without it. And I'll tell you this, that gospel of God's grace, that God does the saving, he does the bleeding and the dying and the rising and the ascending and the returning. That gospel must be preached into you again and again, or you will revert to the natural religion of man. It's just in that old nature. It's there. And if you're not hearing the other, the good news from heaven, you know, know, grace is not of this world. It has to be revealed from heaven. It has to be preached into you and preached into you and preached into you. Otherwise, we revert. Point two. Roman numeral 2, Jesus shows compassion for the people. He shows compassion. That is pity. It's it's a tugging at the gut. Uh, In fact, the word in the Greek means guts. It's, It's like something you feel deep inside when you're hurting for someone. There's a discomfort inside, but it's a discomfort that results in action. It's a discomfort that results in assistance. To the, to the one or those who are in need. And this word compassion is used only of Jesus. 
in the New Testament. He's the compassionate one. He's the one who has a heart for those who are hurting. And he shows compassion by, point A, by teaching the people. He teaches them about God's reign, God's kingdom, God's forgiveness, his mercy to the fallen, for sinners. And then point B, by feeding them. By giving them food. He's feeding them spiritually through his word. And he's feeding them physically through a meal. But notice he does it only through the disciples. He's training them. He's training them to take over the business. Well, that's misnomers. They're not going to take over the business. He's, he, it's his business. But he will carry it out through them. only through the disciples. Notice verse 37. You give them something to eat. And they complain. We can't do that. Verse 38. How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. (laughs) That's it. Notice this, verse 39. Then Jesus directed them. See, he didn't tell the people to sit down. He told the disciples to tell the people to sit down and to sit down in groups. They're going to eat in groups. No one's going to eat alone. You know what makes me sad is, is when we have a fellowship meal and I see somebody seated alone. Should never happen. Should never happen. No one should sit alone. So he directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. This is the good shepherd leading us to lie down in green pastures. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. Notice how he gives thanks for what you and I would sneer at. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples. He didn't give them to the people. He gave them to the disciples, who would then in turn give them to the people. Point B1, Jesus continues to show compassion today through word and sacrament ministry. Acts 2.42 is is revealing. Jesus goes throughout ministry, throughout his earthly ministry. He does, as I've said before, two things with people. Above all else, he teaches them and he eats with them. That's what he does. He does it with the Pharisees. He does it with sinners. He does it with his disciples. He'll do it with anybody. Teaching and eating. Those two things. It's 2.42. After Jesus has died, risen, ascended to heaven, the disciples, we read, were devoted to the apostles' teaching, that's the teaching of the Lord, and to the fellowship, 
that is, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. The prayers. It's denoting a, a fixed order of service. Okay. He was always doing this, and so they continue it because they believe he's continuing it among them. He's doing it through them. Point A, Jesus taught and tabled with the multitude in Galilee. As we've said, he's done it throughout his ministry. They continue it. He continues it in the book of Acts and and on forward up to our present day. And then point B, Jesus teaches and tables with us. Our, Our divine service is nothing else. It's two parts. It's the Lord's teaching and the Lord's table. We didn't think it up. Okay. It's the Lord's idea, not ours. That's why it's important, I think, to have every Sunday communion. We went to that, you know, several years ago after several years of discussion about it, just learning together and and finally agreeing together. We probably should, you know. And uh, everyone uses their own judgment on this. No one's forced. But we make it available. That's the point. We make it available. Point two, today Jesus shows compassion for the leaderless and the vulnerable through us. For we are his body. We are his members. You know, I I like to put it this way. Jesus is present among us spiritually through his word and through the Holy Spirit. He's present with us physically physically. In the Holy Supper, this is my body, this is my blood. Scriptural testimony is clear on that. And then he's present with us visibly. Through you, through me, through his people. No matter where they are scattered around the globe, he's visibly present through you and me. Point three Jesus leads the disciples into a situation beyond human ability. He does it today. He did it then. And I call it a planned dilemma. He leads us into planned dilemmas. Uh, Tim Kimmel, a Christian author, wrote years ago about the trouble he had with his son, a little boy, Cody, And uh, Tim and Cody would go into the shopping mall and Cody immediately would run away from Dad and Dad struggling to keep up, going from store to store, toy to toy. And it finally occurred to Dad to do things a little differently. The next time they went to the mall... Dad allowed Cody to run on ahead and run into a store. Now, Dad kept an eye on Cody. He kept him within eye shot, but he hid behind a counter, behind some clothing, just watching his son. His son would move from one station to another, looking at this and looking at that. And then finally, Cody eventually looked around, and it occurred to Cody that Dad's nowhere to be seen. And this look of horror came over Cody's face. Where's Dad? And Dad let him chew on that for a few moments. And then he finally appeared. And the whole point of that 
planned dilemma was to teach the boy, you stick with me. Just stick with me, and you'll be fine. Now, the Lord leads us into planned dilemmas to teach us the very same point. We are point A in situations beyond human ability with insufficient, I put that in quotes, insufficient resources. It's insufficient from our point of view, from an earthly perspective, under the sun, you know, this ain't enough. But point B, with an all-sufficient God. With an all-sufficient God. So the point is, we're, we're constantly being reminded, you look to me, you stick with me, says the Lord. Take your eyes off the insufficient resources and look to me. You know, now later in the gospel, I, we're all familiar with what happens. Uh, Peter eventually denies Jesus three times. And in, in scripture, uh, three means finality. It, it's, it seriously confirms something is true when something occurs three times. And, and so Peter, by a triple denial of even knowing Jesus, severs the connection with Christ. And how does Jesus respond to Peter's failure? Well, we see at the end of John's Gospel, Jesus speaks to Peter, but, but he never says these words. He never says, I forgive you. He never says that. Instead, he says, feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Care for the flock. See, that's more than simply saying Peter's forgiven. That's demonstrating that he's forgiven. You don't employ someone unless you trust them, unless you accept them. It goes beyond mere words. This is an action. This is compassion. You see, Jesus is saying, Peter, I will be your heart and you'll be my hands. And that's the best demonstration of forgiveness. The disciples in our gospel lesson for today, they've already seen Jesus cast out demons. They've already seen him heal multitudes of people. They've already seen him control the wind and the waves earlier in Mark's gospel. They've even seen Jesus raise the dead. But in spite of all that, they cannot imagine that he could possibly do anything about this food shortage. No. They actually want to send people away from Jesus. Imagine that. Sending needy people away from Jesus, you know, into the villages to buy food for themselves. They can't imagine that he's able to feed the multitude. But how does Jesus respond to their unbelief? He does not say, I forgive you for your lack of confidence in me. Instead, he shows them forgiveness. He demonstrates forgiveness by handing his ministry over to them. He gives them the job of ministering to the multitudes. In other words, he will be their compassion. They will be his hands. It's the best demonstration of forgiveness. Roman numeral three, letter B, number one. The question is, how many times must the disciples witness Christ's ability before they finally believe it? 
How many times? The answer is as many as it takes. As many as it takes. Our Lord is unbelievably patient with his disciples. He's patient with his bride, the church, with his body, with you and me. Now, in the very same way, our Lord places us in situations that are beyond our ability. He places us in planned dilemmas. He leaves us with what is apparently insufficient resources. Why? So that we might be reminded to look to him as being our all-sufficient Savior. And like the disciples, we often lack faith in his ability. We look at our meager resources. We look at our own inability to change the situation, to change the other person. And we wonder, Lord, why? You know, why? You know, why do you put me in these circumstances? Well, I'll tell you why. It's so that we'll look to him. I know it can be frustrating. But the ability lies there, not in you or me. And how does Jesus respond to all of our unbelief? He actually does speak forgiveness to us through the the called minister. But he also demonstrates his forgiveness for us by handing over the ministry to us. My friends, you are the body of Jesus. You are the visible presence of Christ in the world today. Number three, final point, sin is no barrier to service. Our doubts, our faithlessness is no barrier to the Lord. As St. Paul wrote, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He remains faithful. He remains faithful to us in spite of our unfaithfulness. He continues to employ us despite our frequent failures. And he says to each one of us, I will be your heart. I will be your compassion. And you will be my very own hands. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.